Welcome to Hospitality and Politics. I am your host, Andrew Ridgey, and this show is powered by the New York City Hospitality Alliance. You need to have trust with people you do business with, and they've constantly shown again and again they can't really be trusted because they have their own pressures. They need to grow customers. They have two customers to grow. They need restaurants. They need people placing orders. And they, they have stockholders. You know, they have a lot of people to try to make happy. And uh, us from the restaurant community, if we can't trust any of these companies, we've got a big problem. Today, I have a great guest, restaurateur extraordinaire, Robert Carino. He is the CEO of Five Napkin Burger. They have great burgers, and he is very, very sharp. We're going to talk a little bit about the restaurant business, but we're going to focus a lot on restaurant technology and then get into the topic that everyone's talking about, restaurant delivery, the pros, the cons, and why so many restaurateurs are really frustrated with specific companies like Grubhub Seamless. Robert has been bold, he's been confident, and happy to speak out about Grubhub and the challenges that the industry faces. And as always, this show is powered by the New York City Hospitality Alliance. The Alliance is the organization representing New York City restaurant and nightlife establishments throughout the five boroughs. We advocate on behalf of the industry in the halls of government. We educate to make sure that business owners and operators are on top of the changing laws, regulations, and trends impacting their businesses. And we make sure that they can succeed. If you like what you hear on the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and follow us on social media. Hello, Robert. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thanks for being here. So first, let's just talk about the restaurant business. You have Five Napkin Burger. I know you're part of a larger group that operates other restaurants here in New York City and elsewhere around the country. So what's going on in the restaurant industry and the business today? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting time. I mean, it's never been an easy business, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not getting any easier. Uh, and there's been so much change, uh, in, in the consumer and in the guest and what they're looking for and in society in general that things are moving very, very quickly. So I've been in the city now for over 20 years managing and owning restaurants and the pace of change the last, say, five years has, has, has been massive. So everybody's trying to adapt to the new realities, figure out, what the consumer is looking for and figure out how to build and maintain profitable businesses going forward. So you have the title CEO. What takes up most of your time? Like, are you in the restaurants? Are you in an office? Are you running around between restaurants? But where do you find most of your time and focus these days? Sure, absolutely. Um, so first of all, I hate the term CEO because we are, uh, you know, we are, you know, really I'm a restaurateur and we are independent operators. Uh, there's four or five napkin burgers in New York City right now, which is where I spend most of my time. I'm also a partner in Marseille and Nizza, which are fine dining restaurants in Hell's Kitchen and Playa Betty's on the Upper West Side. But most of my time is spent on Five Napkin Burger. Uh, next to my business card, it says CEO slash head coach because I, I like that. I prefer that to CEO. So really, I, I I spend most of my time coaching up my team and really developing a team of restaurant leaders who are really in the store every day doing the tough work. So what's been the most challenges? You mentioned like five years or so, the industry's really been changing. Where's the focus? Is it now really kind of workforce related or is it on some other 
aspect of the business. Sure. When I, you know, when I talk about it and, and especially how, how my time has changed, I mean, we were, you know, I, I ran a similar size business five years ago. Uh, but back then, pretty much all of my time was on operations. Um, as the leader of the organization, the best use of my time was to be in the restaurants, interacting with managers, customers, and, and teams. Now, even though we are a relatively small business, in order to compete, we have to really focus on tech, on marketing, on human resources and compliance. And so those are three buckets where we spent relatively little time five years ago. And now as, as a group, those are for sure more than half my time. I hear that all the time. A lot from restaurateurs who said, you know, I got into the business because I love restaurants, but they often feel like they're chief compliance officers more so than restaurateurs because all of these other issues, whether it's regulatory compliance or, you know, just dealing with workforce related issues or technology, which we're going to get into, just take up so much focus and almost pulls them away from the business. And perhaps, you know, that's just the future of the restaurant industry. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think it's very important that, that, that everyone, you know, my peers and everyone out there embrace that reality because it's not changing. You know, compliance is not going to get easier. Technology is not going away and you're going to need a way to market your business. So instead of, you know, bemoaning it or complaining about it, I've, I've chosen to, to dive in and learn and, and try to expand my knowledge and, and get good at those things. Cause I do believe that the good operators will find an advantage and they will find a way to, to, to build six profitable businesses with, with happy customers. And that's the goal. Yeah. I like the term, uh, head coach. So what are you doing when it comes to training? Cause I imagine, you know, if you are not on the restaurant floor, you know, if you, it's your restaurant. You see a napkin on the ground. You're going to walk across the dining room floor. You're going to go pick that up. There's all of those aspects to running a business when it's like your own company that you put your heart and soul into. So if you are not on the restaurant dining floor as much, what are you doing to coach your employees to make sure that they're putting the same type of love, passion, and focus on all the little aspects of running a restaurant? Great question. Uh, I've got a good example for you. Uh, so last week we were doing a unit review, which is a process we do in the Five Napkin Burgers. We go experience it as a guest. Uh, and our signature Manhattan wasn't made properly. Uh, and it's a great Manhattan, but it's it to be our Manhattan, it has to be made a certain way. We use a, a citrus rinsed glass and they, you know, they rub, uh, orange rind and orange bitters around the glass. If you don't do that, it's just a Manhattan. Uh, so Friday morning, uh, we made a training video that I, that I spoke in. I went behind the bar. I, you know, we, we videotaped how to make it and really to explain to everybody, the whole team, why, uh, you know, really what the drink should be and why we made those choices. And now we're using our technology platform where we're, we're trying to move all our training to video. Uh, and people want to do things the right way and they want to know why and, you know, why it's special. And so now that video, we invested three or four hours in it. It was a big chunk of my Friday, but that could, we could use that for the next two years. And hopefully that can help us teach our people what we want to do. So you have to use, use some of the new tools to, to do what we used to do in different ways. Very cool. Do you know offhand, what's the name of the platform that you distribute the video? Yeah. So we use, um, so right now we've been moving our training to a platform called Skooks, S-C-H-O-O-X, uh, for the hot schedules customers out there. It's hot schedules works in collaboration with them. 
so that was really one of our big initiatives for the year to move as much training as possible to video, to communicate with our employees the way that that they're used to consuming information. It's not about a 50 page book. Uh, it's, it has to be interesting. It has to be, uh, it has to be, um, compelling. It has to be fun. And it, and it really has to tell why we want things done, not just do it this way because that doesn't work anymore. That's cool. So when you bring a video team in, is the video team related to this company or are you hiring a separate third party? So, film team. so something like that we do in-house. I mean, it's really a combination of my marketing team and my operations team. And, you know, we're filming on iPhone and we're editing an iMovie. And Oh, nice. So you're able to keep the cost down. And, I, you know, I think we need to because something like that, I mean, really, I, f- I could sit down and make a list of 100 videos we want to do. And, you know, sometimes when you work with a, a production team, it, it ends up being too polished anyhow. Yeah. I mean, I kept, as we said, I said, you know, I really want to have an easy way to make videos videos that that really feel like Instagram stories. Everybody makes compelling videos themselves on their phone with with, with Instagram uh, editing tools. And that's how I want our training to feel because I think that's going to have the most impact on the, on the team. And have you seen a difference in the way that your employees are kind of consuming and retaining and using the information when they watch a video versus read a training manual? We're getting there. We're, you know, we're getting there. I, we've gotten a lot of video up this year. I think, you know, we're getting better at it. Um, and so I think we're getting close to finding an, an easy to produce, compelling, uh, video training content style. And once we have that, I mean, I think next year we're really going to cross the bridge. We've definitely found what doesn't work. If it's too long and it's boring, nobody wants to, you know, it, it's, you know, they're done. Yeah. Listen, I think, you know, figuring out what doesn't work is just as valuable sometimes as figuring out what does work because it's right. all a process. So while we're talking about this technology, what does your tech stack look like in the restaurant right now? What platforms are you using? What have you used in the past and moved away from? Uh, sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we could spend a couple hours here nowadays. It's so it's, it's, uh, you know, there's so many products and so many great tools. Um, maybe just a couple that are the most impactful for sure. I mean, I, as we, you know, and it's all related as we talk about third party delivery later and we talk about operations and we talk about marketing. I mean, ultimately the goal of all of these products is to help us have a, have a, have a, you know, a better relationship with our customers. We're going to talk about customer data. That means knowing who our customers are and what they like and using that information to serve them better. Um, you know, and, and also being able to market the businesses to the people who really like what we do. So we've spent the most effort this year on developing our loyalty program, which is powered by Thanks, uh, T-H-A-N-X. I'm going to actually mention uh, the founders. That's Zach Goldstein. Yes. So yeah. he is incredible with his writing. He's actually written a bunch about um, – incremental sales when it comes to delivery. And I was actually reading one of his articles. But anyways, go ahead. But yeah, yeah, yeah a- for sure. I mean, you should link that. I mean, Zach is Zach is a very impressive CEO. And he really gets um, the challenge that operators are under. And they're trying to p- smartly position their tool to be a to to be a real asset to restaurants so that they can uh, take some of the power back. Um, and that is really about having data about your customers and, and, you know, data that they want to share with you, obviously. Uh, and then, and then figuring out how to use that data to serve them better and make them happier. So we've had a big push to get people into the five napkin loyalty program this year. Um, we are, uh, you know, I think sending compelling information that's educational. We're sending, you know, compelling offers and, and promotional, uh, 
uh, you know, perks to people who are in the program. We're adding people every week. And, you know, as we started the year, it was really goal number one. And I think we've had a, you know, we've had a good run. And now we have enough people in the program that, that I think we can communicate with them better. And, and ideally, you know, again, as we get, as, as we get, uh, into delivery, you know, as a full service restaurant, you know, our, our restaurants are about getting people through the doors to enjoy the experience. And part of that challenge is making sure that they know what you care about, they know where you are, and that you're top of mind. And, and that's, you know, that's part of the focus. What about workforce? You mentioned kind of the training programs. Uh, obviously, the labor laws are always changing. There's a lot of liability. You really need to be tight in the way that you run your company when it comes to workforce. And, you know, you could streamline some of that with technology. Are there any platforms that you really like that assist you again with scheduling or onboarding, uh, in addition to kind of the training videos? You know, we haven't found the right kind of, uh, HRIS system, you know, uh, human resources information system, uh, for us yet. I mean, still our processes are very manual and it's very labor intensive on our, on our HR team and on our finance team. Um, so there are, there are definitely tools out there. We're trying to find the one that's sophisticated enough, but yet affordable. You know, some of the tools that are out there are very expensive. Um, and, and so we haven't found the one, the, the perfect one just yet. Uh, when you get into scheduling, obviously now as, as labor has gotten, you know, with minimum wage, labor has gotten more expensive. It's very important that everybody has line of sight on, on their, you know, scheduled hours and on their time clock and variance from scheduled hours. So we, it's still a cumbersome process, but we use hot schedules to help us with that. Um, and it's, you know, it's a place where we all have to spend time now. We want, you know, we want our, our, you know, we want to pay our employees well, and we want them to be in the building at the right times and making money, but we have to be careful to make sure we understand, um, you know, what, how that works. Yeah, a lot of the conversations I have with restaurateurs about technologies, they're kind of in the same place. Um, I think other industries perhaps are a little bit uh, ahead of the curve or ahead of where the restaurant industry has been traditionally with technology. But people like you and so many others have really been looking at their tech stack and trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And there's just a huge influx of products entering the market. I mean, it's almost every day someone says, hey, have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? And then you hear from restaurateurs, well, you know, I need this system to speak with this system. And they don't. Right. Um, and, you know, if you have multiple restaurants, how are you using the information, you know, across multiple units? Um, and then who's responsible for making sure that whatever data you use or whatever systems you use are actually being used in an efficient way, like you're basically using all the bells and whistles. Or adapted, right? So, I mean, as a, you know, we don't have an IT person on our team. So that, you know, that, that falls, you know, to me and to committee. And so if there's a new, a new product that I want the team to embrace, I have to sell it to them, right? And, and I, I have to, you know, get them in on the vision of why we're, you know, why we're using this product and what the benefit's going to be. So what's that process like? Is there a formal process? Say you're looking at some new marketing related technology or you insert the type of technology. Sure, sure. What's your process for getting your team to buy into it? It's it's challenging. I mean, it, it definitely takes energy on on my part in this in, in that specific instance. I mean, I have I have my leadership team. You know, I, I you know I meet with all of my general managers. You know, a couple times a month. I'm meeting with them this afternoon, and and I'll I'll mainly in those forums we'll talk about challenges, and then I'll present a tool that I think can help us with those challenges. 
but it has to work for them at the end of the day. They're the ones who are, who are need to embrace the tool if it's going to be successful. A tool like thanks is only successful if you, if you're getting people to sign up. If the people in the store, uh, whether it's the servers or the managers don't, don't want to help get the signups, it's useless. So I have to sell. And again, it goes back to kind of explaining the why and, and the power of it, but it's difficult because, you know, that are, you know, so many of these tools, are only really helpful to your business after you've used them for a while. Uh, and, and so many tools come in and just get no traction. So generally we'll try things in one store, one location, see how it goes, get feedback from the people. And then, and then we'll go, you know, then we'll have a little bit of, uh, you know, some success stories to tell and then we'll go broader. Um, but it's, you know, there's a lot of tech out there that sounds nice, but doesn't do what it's supposed to do. But the ones that do are, you know, it's worth the effort and worth that process. Have you brought any tech into the restaurants and been like, you know what, this just is not working? Um, yes. I mean, the first, first example that comes to mind is I was, I was, this is going back probably two years. I was pretty fascinated about, um, the concept of having a tablet on the table to just not, not to replace full service in any way, because full service is, is very much part of the five napkin brand, but to help enhance the full service. So you could order your second drinks from a tablet or you could pay your bill at the tablet and you'd be seeing, you could see pictures of the menu on the tablet. We tried it that, you know, the tech didn't work. Um, it was, it, you know, it was slow. We saw the guests wanted to use it to pay, but they were, they would put their card in and it was timing out. So the user experience wasn't good for the guest. And then immediately the waiters stopped talking about it because the last thing they want is their guests to get frustrated at the end of the experience. Interesting. Do you think as a general movement in the industry, we're going to see more of the table top uh, tablets um, either still using a server or moving away from a server completely? Um, like, is it the consumer that doesn't fully want that? And that's why it's not working? Is it the technology just isn't there yet? Is it a combination of the both? But where's that going? Because we've been hearing that for a while, people are just going to order from their table. And it sounds great. You know, I can open up an iPad and I can see beautiful, you know, photos of the menu items. I can order a new drink when my server is running around or at another table. Yes, it's, um, it's definitely coming. It's definitely happening. And there are people who are having success with it now. Um, you know, I, I think, I think what's going to happen is the, you know, everybody has to learn at the same time, the consumer, the operators, the brand builders, right? So everybody has to figure out how, how, you know, if you're going to, if it, if you're going to replace parts of a full service experience or enhance parts of a full service experience with technology, that has real impacts and you, you need to have brand creators and positioners who are excited to, to build brands around that. I mean, some of the, some of the challenge a lot of people are having now is that they're trying to, to fit new technologies into, into brands that have been around a long time. It's very hard to do. There's, you have a lot of people who like what you do and like who you are. So you start to mess with that and it's very, very scary. But if you, if, if I were creating a brand from, from square one right now, I'd be much less, I'd be much less daunted about doing that. You, you could build a brand that it makes some of this new tech makes sense for as opposed to trying to fit it into or, or, you know, retrofit or pivot uh, an older brand. I think that's part of what's slowing it down a little bit. As a restaurateur that's been around for a while, do you, well, what's your opinion about how technology is 
influencing the customer. And what I mean by that is you go into a restaurant now and everyone's on their phone. You know, if you're with kids and I have a kid, I know you do too, you know, they may be on the phone. Um, adults are sitting there on the phone. Um, I imagine this extends the amount of time people are sitting at the table, um, which impacts potentially table turns. Um, maybe. Maybe. Is, is any of these kind of new, and they're not so new anymore, kind of technology behaviors of the consumer changing um, how people order or just how people well, generally so experience the restaurant? For sure. In, in so, so many different ways. Um, and so it's, you know, we could, we could sit here and come up with a hundred examples, but, you know, let's, you know, let's focus on some positive ones, right? So if, you know, if you, if you market your business well on Instagram, your customer can basically see all of your food before they go in. So as far as time, I mean, I, I go out to plenty of dinners where I don't even need to see a menu because I know I, I need this dish or that dish that I've been looking at in my feed for, for the last two months. Uh, so you can really, you know, know what you're expecting for. You could be looking at a thousand bottle wine list and, and searching, you know, you know, getting information about wine, uh, or searching prices with your phone as a consumer. That's great because the sommelier might, you know, may or may not know as much as what you can, you know, Google in your pocket sure. at any given moment. Uh, you know, kids, obviously, you know, keep them, you know, keep them entertained and quiet. We try to wait as long as possible to yeah. give my daughter a phone. She's really generally good. But at the end, it's like my wife and I say, oh, now we can have a little bit of a conversation here. Watch this for five minutes. Yeah. See, all the restaurants can save on buying crayons now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, see we, that? We go through many less crayons. So that's, so that helps. But, you know, there are, it's, things are changing, you know, consumer, consumers have so much knowledge, so much knowledge about food and beverage and wine and spirits and bourbon. And so we have to, uh, you know, ask ourselves, are, you know, are we training well enough to enhance, you know, to do better, to do better, you know, you know, to teach them more than they already know. Otherwise, you know, we're, you know, we're barking up the wrong tree. So restaurant delivery. Yes. Uh, earlier this year, it came out that Grubhub was charging restaurants bogus fees for phone calls that never resulted in an order. So when you go directly to the Grubhub site or even find a restaurant listing somewhere on the internet that's listed on Grubhub Seamless, the company often sets up a additional phone number for that restaurant that they can track. And they had this algorithm and they said if a phone call lasted something like more than 45 seconds, that they would charge the restaurant a fee as if they were ordering directly online. Now, we found out that the obvious Many people call a restaurant for reasons other than placing an order. Maybe they're calling to find out the status of their order. Maybe they're calling to make a reservation. Maybe they're calling uh, to ask something about a menu uh, item. And they charge these fees. So some restaurants were out hundreds or thousands of dollars. We had one member that was charged over $10,000 worth of bogus fees. So it became a big story in the press. Grubhub Seamless got a lot of uh, pushback on this issue. We did actually in front of uh, Five Napkin Burger on 14th Street, a press conference with U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer, basically calling on Grubhub to pay back these fees and also adjust some of their other um, business practices. So as a result, the city council led by the chair of the small business consumer, uh, committee, Mark Joni hosted an oversight hearing into restaurant delivery. 
uh, you testified, which we'll get into. But during all of this, a lot of the frustration that restaurateurs had had for many years, which if you're in the industry, you know about that was kind of bubbling and sizzling at the fir- the surface, just blew. And it came out that the fees, you know, between 50 and 30% of each time, you know, transaction is going to Grubhub, which is often a larger percentage than the restaurants actually getting came out. So long story short, there's this whole explosion of media and frustration that just boiled over the top from restaurateurs. Um, what I found interesting through the New York City Hospitality Alliance, we do a lot of advocacy work with restaurateurs and they will speak out about their concerns related to minimum wage or other controversial issues. But when it came to speaking out against Grubhub, they were all concerned. They'd all say, I'd speak off the record or I'm so frustrated, but they wouldn't speak out for some fear of potential retaliation. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but you really spoke out. So I just want to get your insight. What's going on with this whole grub issue? And then we'll talk a little bit about kind of the specifics of restaurant delivery for restaurants. Sure. Um, you know, so first off, I'll, you know, I'll start by saying, you know, why we've, you know, I've been vocal and, and, you know, I speaking to my partners that we weren't afraid to, to speak on the subject and, you know, try to, you know, lead, lead on the subject, if we will. Um, you know, and, and for us, you know, Five Napkin is, is a full service, uh, you know, uh, brand where our success is directly tied to how many people come into the store. Um, so delivery is part of our business, but it's not our primary business. If I'm not getting people in the locations, delivery is not going to save us. Um, we have visible real estate so people can see us. We have a pretty well-known brand. So I, while Grubhub sales and they generate are important to our business, we could live without them someday and we would, and you know, we might need to, but I think it's important that everybody understands the, the power that these companies have over the small businesses. And we were not, Five Napkin was not affected by the phone charge scandal. Um, but I think it, that was the wake up call. That was the moment that says, if you're going to let a company in to, in between you and your customer, you have to trust them. Uh, they will use the word about partnership and we want to be your partners and help you oh, grow your business. It, we, we're not partners. We are, we are not partners. Uh, Unless the SLA says we are, but that's, that's a, that's a different issue. But you need to have trust with people you do business with. And they've constantly shown again and again that, that they can't really be trusted because they have their own pressures. They need to, they need to grow customers. They have two customers to grow. They need restaurants. They need, they need people placing orders and they need to, and they, they have stockholders. You know, they have a lot of people to try to make happy. And uh, us from the restaurant community, if we can't, if we can't trust any of these companies, we've got a big problem. And, and that's what we've seen lately. And that was what the phone scandal really uh, opened people's eyes to because there's, there's plenty of other issues that, that are very concerning. So yeah, I mean, I don't think most customers know people that order sure. food from restaurants know that they're charging the restaurant between you know, 15 to 30% of each order that you place. And in the restaurant industry, you know, a lot of people aren't making any money at all. But if you're making, you know, 5%, 8%, that's really good sure. uh, these days. So if they're taking a larger percentage than you're actually making, many restaurants are losing money. I know Grubhub uses this argument about incremental sales, that they are 
basically delivering restaurant sales that they wouldn't otherwise have. You mentioned thanks and Zach Goldstein. He has a really good article uh, about this. Um, but talk to me a little bit about incremental sales. Is this a valid argument or – well, it, it, potentially in, in certain cases, right? So there are, you know, one of the things that, that Grubhub and third party delivery in general has done is, is allowed more restaurants to get into the delivery game. All right. So now is more full service restaurants can do delivery now, uh, because it's, it's relatively easy to get, to get your menu hosted online. It's relatively easy to get it delivered without employing your own delivery people. And so now there are more people who can, who, who can be in the delivery business. So for that small segment, incrementality is, is perhaps a valid argument. For businesses that are more delivery focused and do the greater volume of orders, it's, it's more of a necessary evil. Like your customer, you know, there's a balance. Your customer wants to use Grubhub. It's a great tool. It's easy. They have a nice app. They have a good user and order experience. You don't have to enter your credit card or your passwords. That's all customer focused. There's plenty of reasons for them to use Grubhub. For the restaurants, now you need to, you need to be, that makes you feel like you need to be there. Because the customer is on Grubhub, I need to be on Grubhub. And for a lot of people, that, that is true. But the problem is once you're there, those, those customers ordering from their houses or offices, they're not really your customers. They're Grubhub's customers. And so if, if Grubhub decides to raise the rates or if Grubhub, you know, every time I open my Grubhub dashboard, the first thing you see is, you, you know, your sales could be higher. Increase your marketing fee to us. Right. So somebody's willing to pay a higher fee. And obviously, if somebody's willing to pay the higher fee, Grubhub has an incentive to push the orders to the people who pay them the highest fee. Why not? Yeah. Well, what you hear is also that they have so much market share that it makes it very difficult for restaurants to not be on the platform. And I'm always curious because I know myself often when I go and order from a restaurant, I know where I want to eat. So, for example, if I was to go on to Grubhub and I wanted five napkin burger, you know, because of that convenience you mentioned, sure. you know, they have my credit card information. They have my home address. Maybe they have my work address as well. It makes it a seamless – I'm doing yeah, air quotes – a seamless sure. process. And they're taking this large fee um, instead of me just going and del- – ordering directly from you where there would be no fish. Sure. So so a couple of pieces. I mean the first these companies were very early. I mean what uh, seamless is 20 years. I mean I yeah. think it's 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 a long time. So they were very early in fulfilling a technological need that we had. All right? So 20 years ago we barely had websites. Uh and so to get a menu hosted online and to, 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 uh, you know, charge credit cards online. These are things we were not prepared for 20 years ago. And so they filled that need for us, but that we let them into the restaurant and we let them into the customer relationship, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And, you know, you could talk about open table as well through the reservation process. You know, they, they made, uh, they made our lives easier in the beginning, uh, and they helped us uh, increase our, you know, improve our business. Now the techno- the technological side has gotten much, much cheaper, right? You don't, you don't need to pay cover charges to, 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 to have reservations online anymore. You can pay a monthly fee of $150. You can host your own website, your own menu, uh, and have your own delivery platform from your own website and, and, and do that for a flat fee as well. So the technological, uh, you know, head start that they gave us, that's, that's gone, right? Um, or, 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 or greatly diminished. Um, and then, so now we're on to marketing. And so, all right, they're gonna, we're, they're gonna help us market, um, to, to the world and tell people about our business. The problem is they're marketing 
to to their marketing to our customers, and they know who their, my customers are. I mean, if you Google right now Five Napkin Burger Delivery, you'll see an ad from Grubhub. You'll see an ad from Seamless. You'll see an ad from Postmates. You'll see an ad from Uber Eats. Uh, you know, you, you, I have to now spend money to advertise to get to peop, my own customers, to people who are looking for me. And that's, you know, that's challenging. I mean, restaurants, we talk marketing budget. We have – uh, you know, we spend thousands of dollars on marketing, not tens of thousands of dollars, not hundreds of thousands of dollars, and certainly not millions that these companies are spending. And they don't even need to be profitable, which is, you know, there's just, it's very, very hard for us to compete against that. And that's a huge issue. Um, you know, I, I woke up the other morning and I saw a Grubhub commercial on TV. I got onto the train. I saw ad for Grubhub. So you're right. They're basically spending, who knows, millions of dollars, I presume, on changing consumer purchasing behavior. Right. So instead of me, Andrew Ridgey, saying, I want a burger, I'm going to go to Five Napkin Burgers website and order. I'm going to pick up the phone and call them. They've made it so easy for me to just order direct. But the other thing that ends up happening is if I go on to one of these websites, I end up seeing another burger restaurant on there as well. And I may say, you know, I have an order from there. I've only been there once. Maybe I try that. So while I am a five napkin customer, you're right. I'm really a Grubhub customer because they're able to redirect me to another competitor. For sure. Um, and let's go ahead. And, you know, from the, from the, you know, the people ordering from their apartments and, and, and offices, you know, they, you know, they are king. Like they can order whoever from who, you know, use whatever tool they want to place an order. And they, you know, if, if, you know, to a certain extent, um, and, and just, you know, be clear as we talk about this issue, the restaurant community, we realize that this is our problem. It's not, it's not the end user's problem, right? Sure. They're, they're going to do whatever is best for them. So the only, th you know, we all use Amazon. We all yeah. order from Amazon at home as you, as you're doing your holiday shopping this year because it's easier. And yes, I'd like to order direct or yes, I'd like to go in person, but there's only so much that, that the delta between the, you know, the ease and convenience and, and wanting to help, uh, is. Um, so the only way I, b I believe that, that independents and smaller brands can compete is, is through branding their product and, and making something really special that people want. You know, that your, your product has to be, has to be so much better than, than anybody else's that, you know, if you're not on Grubhub, I'm going to find you because I need to have your pizza or your pasta or your, you know, your lo mein, whatever it is. It's the only way we can compete. So what are you doing at Five Napkin and the other restaurants to try to compete and get more of your customers to order direct? Right. So, so first of all, you know, we, we are trying to get people on our, uh, you know, to order directly from our website. And, you know, through that process, we, we've tried a bunch of different things this year to try to make it a better experience for, for those users. Um, right. So, so the tech side of it, we're trying to make sure it's compelling. Um, we are, you know, we do send offers. You know, we, we have a sign up code. Mm -hmm. If you go to, napkinburger.com you can use the code first order get 25% off your first order so that's we want people to use to order once love the food and then you know ha have a password and come back and do it again so sure. so we're we're working on that but but that's that's just a an intro offer how do we make it better uh, for a while we were sending fresh baked cookies to the orders that came from our website uh, we're gonna be sending winter hats to our best customers as a holiday gift in a, in a week or so uh, you know just anything to 
uh, you know, so that we can communicate, we can send offers, we can send information, we can send beautiful pictures to people who, who are ordering with us and just making sure that the people who order for our website, we're going to take, we take great care of everybody, but we're going to take even, you know, special care of those customers and make sure that every order is right. And if we know that somebody's ordered with us 30 times, 40 times, 50 times, if we screw it up, you know, somebody's going to be there in person in five minutes, you know, fixing it. And we might not know that. We have people who have ordered with us hundreds of times through Grubhub, and I don't know them. So let's get a little bit into that about yeah. customer data. Obviously, we always hear, you know, data is a new currency. Yes. And it's no different in the restaurant industry as well. So talk to me about not knowing who your customers are when they order through Grubhub. Right. So, I mean, you know, the restaurants – in the restaurant industry in general, especially the, the full-service restaurant industry, the data was the reservation book, right? So in the, so 30 years ago, people did it on paper. 20 years ago, Open Table started coming in, and now you have history of, of everybody who makes a reservation in your restaurant. I know John Jones was here for his anniversary in 2012. I know John Jones was here for his birthday in, in, in 2015. That information is helpful to allow us to serve John Jones better. Uh, to make sure that he comes back. If we haven't seen him for two years, we have, you know, we could say, Hey, Mr. Jones, we miss you. Hope everything's okay. You know, come back. And just, you know, customer service doesn't only happen inside the stores anymore. I mean, customer service happens, you know, uh, all day, every day in, uh, uh, you know, online in communications with our guests. So if we can't communicate and stay top of mind with the guests, there's no way to serve them well anymore. And you can't do that if you don't know who your customers are. So, five napkin, it's a little challenging because it's predominantly a walk-in concept. So I only, so I only know, really know about my best customers now because of my loyalty program or the customers who order through my website. And with that information, our, our, our only goal is to make sure we serve you better and you don't forget about us. That, and that, and without that data, we can't do that. Yeah. Listen, I think not just with Grubhub, but with, technology platforms in general that are collecting data about your customers. If there is a wall and you don't have complete ownership and access to all of that data, then there is this wall between you and your customer. And then that third-party company is going to hold a lot of leverage over you because if you still want that access to that customer, you need to remain on that platform. And that can be really, really daunting. Even if you're a successful restaurant like yours, you know, you need that access. You need your customers. And like what you said before, and it's an interesting phenomenon in the tech sector, I'm curious to see how the whole WeWork debacle will impact this. But, you know, restaurants, you're a, you know, Penny's business. You need to make payroll every week. You need to make your rent every month. You are, you know, constantly just now it's more credit card business, but generally it's a cash business. Um, and you don't have big investors versus these technology companies. A lot of their investors have allowed them to basically burn through cash so they can continue to acquire market share in hopes of one day being the leader in that sector getting a huge valuation. So how do restaurants expect to be able to compete with this when you're trying to make your payroll every week and then these companies are saying, we're just going to spend millions of dollars on advertising and we're going to spend millions of dollars on building out a more robust technology yeah, platform. And, and they're all fighting for market share, right? So it's 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 very daunting. And I'll I'll start with the depressing side, and then I'll I'll try to give you the optimistic side. 
In uh, Grubhub's last quarterly earnings call, CEO Matt Maloney, one of the things he said is, the reality is it's very hard to trick a consumer to pay more than they want to pay. Uh, crazy quote. I think it's actually taken a little out of context. It made a bunch of headlines. But Andrew, promise me if I ever use the word trick and my customer in the same sentence, you'll edit it out? Yes. All right. Thank <laughs> you. Because it, it's just very, very scary. But the, you know, the idea is um, – well, well, let's focus on the positive. The positive is there's a whole new generation of tech companies that are real, that are coming out realizing that they need to serve the, the, you know, the restaurants, uh, you know, and, and the industry. So a company like Thanks or, uh, a company like Yumpingo, which I'm using for data collection, they're out there realizing that they can use technology to help us know more about our customers and to serve them better. And that's their business model. Their business model is not to disenfranchise us. So in five years, there's going to be a lot of uh, tech, uh, you know, great companies that are that are really more along the lines of partners with the, you know, with their customers. Uh, they, it's it's happening now, and and the ones that win are going to have a great advantage. Um, and you know, in in the long term, we'll see. I you know, and I, you know, listen, I, I something has to change right now. If they're not profitable, you know, the restaurants aren't really making money. The consumers are paying a lot of money to have food delivered to their couch. They're paying, you know. To, you know, a huge surcharge between delivery fees and, and, you know, increased prices and, and, uh, and on and on. It's, it's, it's something has to change. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, unless technologically they're able to start delivering by drone, you know, and, you know, helicopter drones in the, yep. in, in the next couple of months. And, you know, reg, on the regulatory front, I mean, I, I, you know, this whole independent contractor law thing in California. So that sounds like it's going to come to New York soon. The state legislature goes back into session, uh, in the new year and there's a lot of discussion. And knowing New York City politics, I wouldn't be surprised if they get reclassified. And it looks like some of these third-party companies, whether they're delivery companies or in some other space, they continually try to find new industry segments to jump into to show their investors, hey, look, there's a great opportunity for us to make a lot of money here, even though our main business plan you know, is burning through cash. Yeah. And in the case of these third parties and independent contractors, a lot of restaurants have moved away from employing the actual delivery person, right? So they use a third party company that does what they call the last mile, sure. and they will come pick up the food from the restaurant and deliver it to the consumer. And they're 1099s, independent contractors. So they're not, you know, required to be paid the minimum wage. They are not, or I'd say the third party company is not paying workers' compensation and all the other insurance and benefits, uh, and all the other challenges of having a large workforce of employees. But in California, they passed a law that's reclassifying them as actual employees of these third party companies. So if all of a sudden the people that are doing your deliveries are now reclassified as employees, that means the cost to employ them is going to skyrocket and someone has to pay for it. For sure. So what do you think the future is? Do you think the third-party delivery, last-mile delivery companies, is that a solid business model? Or if they get reclassified as employees, are they done with and then your restaurants will go back to actually directly employing delivery people? 
It's uh, you know I wish I had the answer. I, I don't have I don't have a true answer. And I and I think as you ha- as we have this conversation, you know, you and I are both so New York City focused. We we do need to kind of extrapolate out to the suburbs and out to out to other cities and you know uh, you know suburban areas sure. and whatnot because it is very very different. Um, you know I know it's you know what as we shifted from employing our own delivery drivers, you know, years ago, and we actually stopped delivery for a while because it was, you know, we felt it wasn't profitable. And then we started again with Grubhub. You know, it's, if you employ your own delivery drivers, you need a lot of them, right? You need, you know, everybody wants to eat at seven o'clock or eight o'clock. You can't deliver as far, right? And, and you can, you can deliver less orders um, unless you have more people. So what, what last mile delivery has allowed us to do is have, you know, if I have five orders, five drivers will show up and five, and they can go 20, 20 blocks up because they don't have to come back. So that is, there's a lot of benefit to that. But the, you know, those people need to be paid for their work. And they, you know, I pay all of my employees workers comp and, and, you know, and, 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 um, you know, and, uh, and it's, you know, that has to happen in that industry too. So it will change and that's going to be a huge shakeout in the market. I don't know exactly what it is, but it, it will look different. Yeah, I really think, especially in the delivery space, just the industry is going through a fundamental change. And you're right. Being in New York City or any other major metropolitan area, it's different than being in the suburbs or in the country. Um, and I think everyone's trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. But because delivery continues to grow, just the consumer uh, preference for delivery continues to expand. I think by 2020, delivery is going to be something like a $76 billion industry. It's projected. It's already enormous. So it's a reality that we can't ignore. But it's good to know that there are companies like some of them that you mentioned earlier that really look are looking to partner with restaurants. And perhaps the business model will change from the company coming in saying, I own your data. I'm your gateway to the marketplace to companies that are going to say, we are going to assist you in collecting your customer data. Perhaps we will charge you a monthly subscription fee instead of a per transaction fee, because then that makes a lot more sense, you know? Yes, maybe you pay a higher fee for the acquisition of a customer, but the second, third, fifth, tenth time that I order, it's not really a new acquisition. The rate should be down. So maybe the monthly subscription fee is better. Um, Also, kind of the white labeling of products. So then you can brand it as Five Napkin or your own restaurant versus it being branded as a third-party company that's kind of the gateway to that restaurant. For sure. So there's so much more I want to talk about because it leads into the next big issue, which I've written about, uh, ghost kitchens. But I think we're running out of time. So if I ask you to come back, because it's been a great conversation, will sure. you talk with me about ghost kitchens, more about technology? And I'd also be interested to hear how some of these initiatives to kind of wean off of Grubhub and do your own delivery is working for you. Yeah, absolutely. I'll come back anytime. Robert Carino, you are the head coach of Five Napkin Burger. Thanks for coming. Thank you, Andrew. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Hospitality and Politics, powered by the New York City Hospitality Alliance. As always, I'm your host, Andrew Riggi. I want to give a big thank you to Robert Carino, the CEO of Five Napkin Burger. Go grab a burger. They got great food. If you enjoyed the show, hope you'll share it with a friend. You can follow us and share the show on social media. 
We are at the NYC Alliance, both on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitter at Andrew Ridgey, and we're on Facebook, LinkedIn, and other social media channels. Just find us at New York City Hospitality Alliance. Please review, leave a comment, and subscribe to Hospitality and Politics wherever you get your podcast from. We'll talk to you next time.